0: yes. All right. Awesome. Here we go. Uh, my name's Tommy. How are you guys doing? We're good. Haven't seen you in like 10 minutes. Good to see you again. Um, yeah, now I'm all like, I feel like mom's angry at us. Nicole, you know, with the children's ministry. I feel like you disappointed mom, you know, like, um, but seriously, like you should help. Um, Okay, so today we're going to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about the standard of perfection that we tend to put on ourselves um, and how it's really kind of a reflection of religious law that we have sort of inside of us. You know, our hearts are a bit of an idol factory, as, a, uh, as, I've, as I've taught about before. And, and then after, after we talk about perfection, um, we're going to talk about um, sort of, you know, you ever ask the question, you know, how do I change them? What, how, do, how do I speak to them in a way that's going to change them? Well, I, I want to address that, that particular question, because it's, 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 it's a question with kind of a flawed premise. And, and um, Paul is, is really good at kind of showing us how it works, how to, how to confront people, how to um, bring about really lasting change in people. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into this passage. And um, I haven't really slept yet. I got about like 45 minutes of, of sleep, and then and then I Ubered here because I had a flat tire. So like someone doesn't want this to happen, but it, it's happening. So let's pray and let's, let's do this. Father, let, Father, thank you so much for, for letting us, um, letting us uh, be here this morning and gather as your people. I ask that uh, you would allow us to be present, open to the things that you have for us. Um, allow us to contemplate our lives and not the lives of others as we read your word. Let us not worry about what others need to hear, but what we need to hear. Um, convict me personally. Convict all of us individually, and, and, then, and then also convict us as a community. for all of the ways that we have fallen short, all the ways that we have not um, lived up to the name that we bear, the name of, the name of Jesus, the ways that we haven't been loving and, uh, and, and reconciling and just and merciful and gracious. I ask that you would uh, give us exactly what we need this morning. Speak through me. Allow me to be um, present and and aware of of the holiness of of what I get to do and and feel the weight of it and allow me to remember the things that I've studied and to communicate as clear as I can. Um, Thank you. In your name, amen. All right, so... There's this, uh, there's this line I want to start with um, after we read today's first passage here. We're going to start in verse 2, and it says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So <clears throat> there's this line in, in uh, maybe I- I- any Flannery O'Connor fans, I imagine there is. Um, so there's this, there's this line that Flannery O'Connor writes of one of, one of, one of the characters in the book, uh, Hazel Motes. And the line goes like this, and it's, it's, I've always kind of loved, loved it, and it's always kind of... Um, oftentimes annoyed slash offended people. Um, he knew that the best way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. Now, I love this line. People hear it, and, and we tend to hear things and read them in the negative. <clears throat> Most of us are on the defense 90% of the time. Um, and so we read things like this, and we say, oh, it sounds to me like, I guess what you would call like antinomianism, um, living in a, And it's taking grace as as far as we can, living however we can so that that grace will abound. And Paul writes against that. Um, But that's not, I don't don't believe that's what's going on here. Um, I believe what Flannery O'Connor was saying about this character, sorry, uh, is that oftentimes we try to be incredibly moral and good and we strive to be holy and righteous. We do everything right. Um, And Jesus is not at the front of our mind. It has nothing to do with the sacrifice, the cross of Jesus. And oftentimes I don't believe we fully understand the cross of Christ. Because if we understood the cross of Christ, um, the motivation behind everything that we did would be a little different. I want to I go back to a conversation we had several weeks ago, about, about um, a couple of months ago, about the idea of religion. And we did, I did this long history of the sacrifice. And, and how we got to this place where we're offering sacrifices in the first century. And, and a lot of time before. About 1,800, 2,000 years. Um... And so there's two different things oftentimes. You'll hear me say the word religion, and I'll kind of say it with like a bitterness in my mouth, like I'm spitting out the word religion because I'm not a fan of, of religion in, in one sense. Um, there is a right sense of the word religion. Um, it comes from the sort of, and I've talked about this before as well, these, these, uh, the roots of this word religion, if you take it apart, it's re, which means again. Like if you're relighting something, you're lighting it again. It's gone out and you're relighting it. Um, so re, again, and then religion, it, it comes from the word Ligaments. So ligaments are things that kind of it's 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 putting things back together that have come apart, that are supposed to be together. Things that have been torn apart, things that are necessary, ligaments, for us to move and to grow and to progress. And it's these things that have that have been torn apart. And Paul describes pure and undefiled religion as, of course, helping the orphan and the widow in their distress. And and basically the work of reconciliation. Religion. There's a sense in which religion can be good, if, if that's what it is. If it's rejoining everything that is broken. Children who are hungry, orphaned, you know, they're, they're missing things that they desperately need, that they had that were taken from them, and they need to be found again. Um, relationships that have been broken need to be mended. So there's a sense in which religion can be helpful. But usually when I talk about religion, I'm talking about religious law. Um, and so there's these altars that the people used to use that they would, they would lay an animal on and they would, they would kill the animal and the blood would flow off the altar and then they would, they would, they would burn the animal. Um, and this had to do with how they felt about their re-ligamenting with God. With They had been separated from God and God was angry and so they had to appease whatever God they were worshiping and the best way to appease these gods was, was bloodshed. Blood for blood, right. You had offended this God and so you had to sort of pay for it. And so... Um, it had everything to do with um, appeasing the angry God that was there for you. So, so the, the altar was all about l- you're laying things on the altar to appease the God that you have offended. And, and there, comes a, there, there came a time when it, they weren't sure if it was enough and there was more and more and people eventually started cutting themselves. The, the, uh, the priests of Baal used to cut their arms and bleed over the altar. Um, and so you have this, this thing that Paul is talking about, this circumcision. Um, it's basically the act of cutting yourself and, 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 and bleeding and mutilating your own flesh um, to be re-ligamented with God's people, to be rejoined with God's people. And it was, it, it's from this ancient Jewish view of God. And, and as you read the scriptures over time, you see sort of this awakening of who God is. And, and eventually, we're awakened to Jesus, and Jesus is the full embodiment of God. And, and, and Jesus puts an end to all of this, that there's no need for any of it. So Paul is talking to these people and he's writing to them about, look, there's these people who are, are trying to get you to join their sort of religious cult and they, they want you to be circumcised, they want you to cut your own flesh and they want you to bleed so that you can be rejoined with God and God's people. Religious law, that's what that is. If you do these things, if you cut, if you bleed, there was a... And it, it works into every part of our, of our theology and every part of our life as, as, as a Christian. When I, was, when I was a kid, I remember hearing um, a pastor say... Um, you know, I, I believe if I'm going to preach for one hour, I need, I need to pray for three hours, so that I need to be on my knees for three hours so that God will bless. Well, I think that's great. Praying for three hours is great. Preaching the gospel is great. Um, but I think in, I think sort of these actions of indebting ourselves to God so that we can earn the blessings of God is where our faith has gone awry. Getting on our knees and, and sort of paying for God's blessing through prayer that somehow God can't use the prayers or, or, or God can't use maybe the proclamation of the gospel of the absolute sinner who has no idea how to pray. And it's just simply not true. And so we oftentimes, we say we believe in the grace of God, but we still are, are wrapped up in this religious law. So hear me when I'm talking about religion. I'm not talking about the good kind of, of making stuff right. I'm talking about religious law. All these things that were laid out for you to do to make you think that God was happy with you and he wasn't happy with you before you were doing them. It's not right. It has nothing to do with Jesus. And that's what Paul's getting at here. Um, and that's why that, that statement pops on my head, the easiest way to avoid Jesus is to avoid sin. Because if you're not a sinful person, you don't need Jesus, right? Um, and so look, let's look at... Um, at verse 3 here, because Paul keeps going with this thought. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. So he says, not only have you made by your joining up with this law and, and finding all your own ways to reconnect yourself with God, apart from the cross, apart from just accepting just the free, lavishing love of God being poured upon you, you say, no, I don't want that. I'd rather earn it because then I can sort of make demands, Right. Um and it, it you know it, it stokes the ego, the pride. Um he says, I testify you that every man who accepts circumcision um that he is obligated to keep the whole of the law. Says, so Paul says, Look, if you're gonna take the law though, you can't just stop at that, you've got to take all of the law. All of it. So the measure that you have, if you really are gonna go this route and you really want to earn the love of the divine in the universe, if you really want to earn sort of your life and your meaning and your purpose, if you want to earn it all, then then there, there is a standard and the standard is perfection and, and you need to keep every little piece of the law. You need to do it all right. Um, so there's this standard that we must attain. It, it's the pursuit um, that you're after. And if you don't attain this perfection, then you've failed. If you fail in one little piece, you failed in the whole thing. It doesn't matter what it is. And if you want to live by the law, then, then you're under all of it. You can't just pick some part of the law and say, I'm really good at this. Yeah, but you're really bad at this. Yeah, but we're only looking at this right now. No, well, we're looking at all of it together because you're under the law. Um, it's the entire thing. You can't ignore any of the laws, not a single piece of it. And to accept living by perfection means that everything must be perfect. And until you have achieved perfection, you must keep working and working and working and working and working. And, working. and there's no rest for you until the day that you die. And, and, and let's just... Just hope that you attained what you wanted. Um, we're neglecting one important thing to grasp when we, when we speak like this, when we talk about religion and how this is what makes God love us. Um, when we speak this way, we're neglecting the fact that, that, that it's an important facet of Christianity and it, that there is no perfection in this world. There's not. Scriptures describe the world as fallen. That's a great way of saying it's just there's, it's broken through and through. And, and you can't live this way, and, and you are putting a burden upon yourself that you yourself can't even live up to. Um, we live in this world of death and, and imperfection, yet most of us have this nagging feeling that there's something that's just beyond our, our reach that's going to help us fill the void, and we're almost there, and we just need to reach a little further. And so we go throughout our day and it's not only theology. I mean, if you if you live under this kind of theology, then the rest of your life kind of lines up with this. There's this, the way that you view theology determines how you live your life. For instance, there are a lot of doctrines in Christianity that I that I don't hold, and I, I know people that hold them. Um, that uh, you know, people debate on all kinds of things. There's this there's this escapism kind of theology that I don't that I don't hold to, where the whole plan of of God is for us to sort of escape everything and then let it all burn. But if this is your theology, then it lends you to actually not doing anything to make this world better, to bring the kingdom of heaven into this world. And so your theology absolutely determines how you're going to live your life. And so the theology of, um, well, I've got to make God happy and, uh, and I've got to keep earning God's love and I don't want to be, I, I want to earn God's blessing. Whereas the real Christian message is that it's showered upon you no matter what. And, and that everything is a gift anyways, but you're over here trying to earn it. And this will trickle down into every part of your life, and there will always be this thing, sort of just barely out of your reach, that you're trying to get to. That's just just you're almost there, and if you could just get over the hill, a little more money, a little bit of fame, the perfect family, little perfect little stick figure family, the, the, all of these things that that you that you want in your life, and they're, they're coming, and you tell yourself that they're coming, and so you wake up in the morning and you go throughout your day dreaming of what it will be like when I get the house or the car or I get the down payment or I open my Roth IRAs or I get my job, my career, or I get my promotions or I open my business or my shop, and, I, and, and, and you have a lot of hope right now, and, and you're looking forward to all these things that are coming, and the idea in your brain, it's very much like your relationship with God. It's this perfection. You tend to feel maybe in your Christian walk that one day I'm going to be there. I'm going to conquer all these things that I struggle with now. And then I'll really feel the love of God. I mean, I don't necessarily feel it right now, but I will one day when I achieve all these things. And then also your physical life, all these things that are just beyond your, on your grasp. You know, we, we imagine that there might be a way of abolishing the feelings that we have If only we had the money, the fame, the job, the health that currently evades us. And so religion is really good at tapping into this feeling, this this idea of perfection. We're waiting for the next thing. We'll get there, and it's coming. I guarantee you there is at least 10 different places in your life that you can find where this is you. Um, So there's this um, Irish philosopher and theologian named, named, named Peter Rollins, and he's known for doing these large art projects uh, at his faith community he's part of, um, and there was one interesting art project that he did. He would do them you know, several times a year, and there was one where he sent out all these invitations to sort of this, this concert, and he invited everyone in his faith community, and he said, hey, there's going to be food, and there's going to be um, there's drinks and food, and, and all your family, your friends, bring all of them. Everyone's going to be here, and there's a special guest, and the special guest is coming, and it's a musician, and they're going to sing for us, and it's going to be amazing, um, and so come, doors open at 7, show starts at 7.30, and so the night comes and everyone comes and everyone's there, big line outside, and everyone comes inside and, and they're excited and they're eating the, the food and having drinks and having conversation and catching up and having a good time. About 7.30, somebody gets up on the stage and says, hey, so our special guest is not here yet, but our special guest is coming. Um, they're, they're on their way, they'll be here soon, and so just keep watching and, and, and anticipating that they're coming and... and Thank you. Just, just keep waiting, please. And so uh, another hour, hour and a half goes by, and uh, the people are talking, but they're always aware that there's this special guest that is coming, and so they're always glancing at the stage, and they're always, you know, sort of anticipating there should be something else better happening, like I'm, I'm expecting this great thing, this wonderful special guest coming. And every hour and a half or so, someone would get up on the stage and say, guys, I know, thank you for waiting. Um, the fun's going to start soon. It... Everything that you've been waiting for is coming. The special guest is on their way. They're just not here yet. Um, and, and don't worry. Just, just thank you for waiting. And another hour goes by. Another hour goes by. Another hour goes by. About 10 o'clock, Peter Rollins gets up on the stage. And he takes the microphone. And he wants to talk to the people about their, their sort of view of, of the world in light of their view of God. And they kind of realize at this point it's all a ruse and that they've been had. And he starts talking to them and he sort of says, you know, this is the message that modern evangelicalism has become. It's not what it started out as, but it's what it has become. It's all going to start soon. Everything you've been waiting for is going to start soon. And the special guest is going to arrive, so just keep waiting, and you'll spend your entire life waiting for the good thing, and you're missing the good all around you, all of the good things that we have here in honor of our guests that we have, that we have, 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 have set out here to enjoy in honor of our guest who is coming, um, your friends, your family, your drinks, your, the food, um, just these small pieces and symbols of this massive joy that, that your life is actually filled with right now, um, but you can't see it because you're waiting for perfection, and you're moving through your life waiting for the special guest to come and, and, and bring you everything. And, you, and, and you're not aware that right now there are these amazing blessings that have been given to you as you await the special guest. And we're not present in them. And all we can see is what's missing. What's missing? What's not good? What's not right? What's missing? And so this permeates every aspect of our life. It really does. Um, there was this article in, uh, in, uh, last year in uh, this British um, paper called The Mirror. Um, and I also saw a story about it on 2020 and it, it boggled my mind. I've thought about it a lot since I saw it. Um, it's about this boy who was so obsessed with perfection. Maybe you saw this, that, that it took the form of a selfie obsession. Um, let, me read, let me read you some of it. A teenager became so obsessed with taking the perfect selfie that he tried to kill himself when he failed to do it. At 19 years old, he spent 10 hours a day taking up to 200 pictures of himself on his iPhone. Dropped out of school, didn't leave his house in six months, lost two stone—that's a, that's a British way of saying 14 pounds, according to Google. Um, tried to make himself look better for the, to try to make himself look better for the camera, and became aggressive with his parents when they tried to stop him. And finally, in a drastic attempt to escape his obsession. Uh, Danny took an overdose, but was saved by his mom, Penny. Um, This drive for something better than what we have, religion is really good at grabbing onto that. And it's really good at making you think that, well, you'll be worthy of of celebrating what you have one day. But right now, no. And it it imperviates every single part of our life. But here's the thing. Perfection in this world cannot be found. It can't. Nothing in your life is perfect. Nothing in your life will be perfect. It's all a bit broken. All of it. And the pursuit of perfection makes us perpetually unhappy with, you, with, with what we have. Think about it like this um, nobody has a perfect marriage, nobody does and you sit around, and maybe you had this image when you were younger of, of this perfect marriage that you were going to have, and you don't have it, and, and because it's not what you thought it was going to be, what you were hoping it will be one day, you're unhappy with it now. But the sooner you understand and grasp that your marriage is not perfect and that no marriage is perfect, and the sooner you accept the fact that it will not be perfect in this world, the sooner you can be aware of the really good things that are in it of the graces that you have, the blessings that God has given you, those moments several times a day when you look at this person and bust up laughing, when you're smiling, when weird stuff happens and you look at each other like, is this really happening right now? And, and there, yes, there are broken things. There are broken things. Nothing is perfect. Your children, God bless them, will never be Perfect they will never be perfect. As much as you're trying, you're trying so hard to just raise the perfect kid better than that other person's kid that you know. <laughs> and you just want to be perfect and you know what? They're never going to be. And as long as you expect them to be perfect, you're going to miss several things. First off, you're going to miss all the good that is in them. All the, the grace that you have received there. You can celebrate the victories when they're there. And you know what? And when, when they're not victories, when they're just Utter, complete disasters and failures. You know what you do? You are the presence of Jesus, and you shower grace. If your child was perfect, how could you ever be the presence of Jesus in their life? They have no need of you. Grace is essential in every single part of our lives because every single part of our lives is broken. Yes, your job will never be perfect. Your career will never be perfect. Your health will never be perfect. Your body will never be perfect. And the sooner we can realize and grasp it like it, this is this, the illusion of religion. Then the sooner we can realize, understand the part that Jesus plays in our life. To shower love and grace on you despite all of that. We can learn to receive. The sooner we can admit and understand that there will never be perfection in our lives. The sooner we can really find joy. And here's the thing. When you expect your kids or your spouse or your boss or your employees or your friends, whatever, to be perfect, to live up to the standard that you have for them, um, you know what you're going to do? You're going to badger them. You're going to push them. And you're going to make a list of, of sort of laws that they're breaking, sort of like a religious sort of Levitical law that you're keeping in your brain of them. They do this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. Yes. Yes, they do. And there's someone thinking the same thing about you. And you'll never be happy with your current state, with them, your relationship with them. Um, you can never really be a source of real love or actual grace in their lives. And this single thing, expecting others to be this thing, that, this idol that we have, that will never exist in our lives, um, it gets our eyes off of Jesus. We need Jesus to provide the grace for us so that we can help patch these things. We can take part in real religion of, of helping men with these things that are broken. Yes, what she said offended you. And, and the way that, that she pushed away from you really, really hurt. And in, in, in maybe you thought you were friends, but you know what? Like, No relationship is perfect. And so be Jesus. Offer grace. And cross over it. Learn to receive it. And so then we move on to Galatians uh, five four, You are severed from Christ, and you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. So I wanted to highlight this one. I'm not, I can't do all these passages, all these verses today. First off, we did a few of them as we kind of jumped forward and combined them with previous passages. So if you need to catch up, we, we podcast every sermon online. Um, but this one it, uh, individually like sticks out to me and always kind of has because Paul talks about it in other other. Other versions, you'll read it as, as you, you fell from grace, you've fallen from grace. They all kind of say the same thing, a fall from grace. Today, when we describe falling from grace, we kind of, we, we describe it like this. There's this CEO, there's this business person, whatever, they, they've, uh, there's a really famous person, everyone looks up to them, and they've climbed this ladder up onto a pedestal, and they're up on a pedestal, and we'd say, we talk about, later on in life, their big fall from grace, when they embezzled money or they slept with the secretary or they whatever they ended up in prison it's something illegal or stupid um and they fell from grace they're a great fall from grace but what we're describing there is not a fall from grace it's it's really a fall from self-made sort of religion they climb the ladder to the top that's not a fall from grace That's a fall from an empire that you built, and you climb to the top. It's a fall off of your own accomplishments, this fame that you made of yourself, um, all the great things that you've done, and when you lose it all, you're falling off of that. That's not grace. Grace is the opposite. Grace is when you're down here and you're accepting things that you don't deserve, that you didn't build, that you didn't climb a ladder to, and you're receiving these things, which is interesting because Paul says, look... If you choose to go on your own way and strive after perfection, and let's say you maybe get it, first off, you don't need Jesus anymore, so you're out of grace. And Paul says, so basically you've fallen from grace, which we in our modern capitalistic American society tend to think, well, that's... that's This is lower than this, but Paul looks at it the exact opposite. Paul looks at this as the lower state and this as the higher state. Submitting to God and receiving, understanding, eyes open, mind open, heart open, understanding that I I don't deserve the life that I have and responding with thankfulness every single day. And when you decide that you've earned it, that you do deserve it, that you've worked really hard for everything that you have, and that you deserve it now. You have fallen from grace. Paul says, no, that's, not, that's not lower. That's higher. You've fallen. When it gets to the point where you say, I can do it alone without anyone else. I'm good enough. I'm strong enough. I'm smart enough. It's actually a step down. It's, it's not a step up. Understanding that there is a perfect being and it's not you. And that there's a million times along the way where you did not deserve what you received and you received it anyway. I've, I've over the last two years, I've, I've, um, I've tried my absolute best to get in a habit of the first words coming out of my mouth every single day to be words of thankfulness. Wake up in the morning and don't say a word. And when I do, the words are, Thank you for my breath. Thank you for my family. Thank you that we're all here. We're safe. And I just wander around the house or wherever I'm at and just offer up thankfulness, knowing that it's all a gift. All of it comes down from a perfect father. And so then we move on to uh, verse 10. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. So he's talking about um, how he has this sort of... You ever have anyone look at you and, and say, uh, I trust you'll make the right decision. In other words, they've kind of told you what it is. You're like, yes, Mom. Again, like, like you felt this morning when Nicole got up here and said, "And said, I need you to serve in the children's ministry. I trust you'll make the right decision. There's a little bit of like, ow, okay, yeah, we'll do it. Um, so there's, there's a little bit of this going on, but but it's really more, he's talking about this confidence that he has in God. He has faith in people through the Lord. Here's what I mean. How many people are you worrying about right now and the decisions that they are making and the path that they are going down and you are terrified and you're in there, you're jumping in and you're, you're picking the fights and you're confronting and you're saying, hey, you got to change. It says not good. And you forget that at one point you thought differently about things than you do now and you had to go on this journey to get where you are now to wake up and understand. And you forget that it wasn't you who took yourself on this journey and it wasn't someone else speaking into your life and telling you all the things you're doing wrong that brought you to where you are now. It was God leading you on this journey. And that same God that led you on this journey to bring you to where you are now is the same God that you can trust with their journey. You don't need to panic. You don't need to have fear. You can trust, like we talked about last week. Fear should not, in a Christian, be the driving factor for anything. Paul himself had been on this journey that was, that was insane. A murderer of Christians And God wakes him up and says, the guy you're persecuting is is the one you should be serving. And he wakes up. And so Paul says, I I know some of you are already venturing down this path. That's not right. Um, He says, but I trust God, the God who brought me on my journey, the God who brought me to where I am. I trust that God to take you on your journey. And so I get questions from people. um, Hey, you know, so-and-so, Friend, family member, spouse, child, parent, they're doing this. How do I get them to stop? I look at them and I say, you, you can't get them to stop. You cannot lead someone where they don't want to go. You can't do it. It's impossible. All you'll do is make them hate you. You, at some point, need to be the presence of Jesus. You trust that the Lord has sort of a path for them and you're praying for them constantly. And you know what else you're doing? You're being graceful. You're there. You're there, the presence of them. You ever seen that, um, when they're, I'll go there in a second. I get these, these thoughts popping in my head. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna go there. Um, you're there with them at their darkest hour and they look around and you're still, standing, you're still standing there and you're walking with them. And because you were there at the darkest hour, when they hit rock bottom, they appreciate you, and now, and now they'll listen to what you have to say. But on their way down, if you criticize, you cast them out, and you act in a way that is not of Jesus but is more of religion, and you say, well, if you're making these decisions, me and you are done. Instead, you say, this will limit the closeness of our relationship, but I want you to know I love you, and I will, I will sit next to you as you go down this terrible path, and you will know the whole time that I love you. You ever see, you ever see that, uh, that meme that went around, um, that Mad Men meme? If you, if, you, if, if you don't love Peggy Olson at her f- season one, you don't get to love her at her season six. <laughs> like, yeah, like, you're with people on their way down at their worst times. And they're open to the grace that you've given them even later on. And you trust God and you walk with them and you speak love to them over and over and over. This is what Christ did for you. Followed you into this sinful world, bearing your sins, his pain on himself. And so Paul, there is this exercise that he has of, of trust. He says, "I have confidence in the Lord. You're on a journey. You may make some bad decisions. know that does not affect my love for you. You have to know that. And so then we get to this um, we get to this other passage. It's fascinating. He says, "But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision. Why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Brilliant. Um, So it's kind of this like mic drop moment where he is like, you're going to cut yourself? Go ahead and cut yourself. Like, (laughs) what is he doing? Um, I'll tell you what he's doing. Okay, so um, Galatia, the city of Galatia is next door to this other city called Phrygia um it's where the fridge was invented. And Phrygia. <laughs> I did not sleep <laughs> last night. And and Phrygia, uh, it's where the worship of this goddess Cybele happens. And in order to worship the goddess Cybele, the really devout worshipers of Cybele, like right next door, is this amazing historic city. Um and, and they would go into this temple And they would literally emasculate themselves and bleed all over the altar to show their absolute devotion for this goddess, Sabel. What Paul is saying here, he's not, I mean, he's being crude, but not in a way that we are oftentimes crude. What Paul is doing is he's saying, look, what they're doing has, it's not Christian in any way, shape, or form. It's actually far more pagan. What they're doing is absolutely not based in Christianity at all. Rules, laws, perfection, the fear of losing God's love because you weren't living moral lives, cutting of yourselves and and bleeding of yourselves so that God will see how much you love him. Um, None of that has anything to do with Jesus. And it's actually far worse. It's a gateway into everything that, that Jesus came to release us from. We look at the sacrifice of Jesus. I mean, Christianity is the basic understanding that the teachings and the work of Jesus put an end to all religious laws, all religious sacrifices, all the heavy burdens that religious institutions place upon us because Jesus has opened our eyes to grace. And when Jesus laid on the altar, what he's basically saying is, the altar's full, nothing else can be sacrificed. We're done. This is the point in human history where God said, this is not how this works. It's over, Jesus will open your eyes to my grace, and your eyes will be opened, and you will see that you are loved all the time. This is how much you were loved. Receive it. Stop chasing religion. Reject it and receive grace. And not not just receiving grace into your ideology of God, receiving grace into every single part of your life. Your marriage will never be perfect. Your family will never be perfect. Your house will never be perfect will never be perfect your car will never be perfect it will always make that little noise you're like what is that noise <laughs> your church will never be per- perfect your pastor will never be perfect promise you um, it's funny because people, people come up to me sometimes and they, they have a problem with something I said in a sermon and like I didn't, I didn't like your sermon and I say well so my sermon wasn't perfect was there any little now that, now that we've admitted my sermon wasn't perfect is there any little part of my sermon that meant something to you well I liked that This is how this works. We look for the little blessings that God has showered upon us, even though we're not seeing what is really going on, all right? Every part of your life has something in it that you can stand and say, yes, God, thank you, thank you. Whatever you're going through, there is a piece of, 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 of grace there. We need to find it. We need to realize that this is how we find Jesus in everything, Christ in the common, in the brokenness, in the breaking of the bread, we find Christ there. The wine, the blood poured out, we find Christ there. And so we're going to take communion. Um, our communion service, you guys can go ahead and take the elements and spread around the room. Um, we do this every single week, every time we get together. Um, if you're not familiar with, again, church gatherings. Um, communion is just this very simple thing. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe you've been weirded out by seeing it portrayed in different places. It's just simply bread. It's broken for you wine that's poured out for you and we all line up and we take a piece of bread we dip it in the wine, the bread represents the body of Christ broken for you the the, the wine represents the blood of Christ spilled for you and we recognize that the sacrifice of Christ he poured himself out for you so that you could find life and healing and then after the resurrection he says follow me and we choose to follow in other words we pour ourselves out for the healing of those around us Sometimes it hurts. It's really painful. Sometimes it costs us dearly. But we don't do it so that we can earn God's love. We earn it so that people will love God. They will feel the love of God. And so we take some time and we pray and we kind of do our best to confess and repent of the ways that we haven't lived up to uh, the call that we've received. And we take a piece of bread and we dip it in the wine glass and we eat it. And as it goes down inside of us, we ask the gospel to touch every part of our life, every imperfect little morsel of our life, knowing that it is God's perfection that, that, we, that we wear. We look at the perfection of Christ, and we say, there it is. I lean on that perfection, not my own. And so let's pray. Let's take some time and contemplate the gospel. Father, thank you for your sacrifice for your perfection, for your work, for who you are calling us to be. Open our eyes to, um, to our brokenness and to your holiness. Any good that we have, may it be a response to the goodness that we see in you. Be with us now as we take communion. Reveal to us ways that we've fallen and failed. Maybe even ways that we've fallen from grace by trying to earn your favor. Remind us that we already have it And remind us to receive it so that we can find healing. Thank you. Amen.